Frontier Missions Journal. Stories of hope for the unreached with Adventist Frontier Missions. What You Have Done to the Least of These by Paul Massey. Overwhelmed by the crowds in the street, the hustle and bustle of refugees, and the feelings of both helplessness and sadness, I watched the little girl as she walked up to the cashier. In one hand, she held a bar of ivory soap like it was her last possession on earth, and in the other, a bottle of water. In spite of speaking Arabic, a language that no one understood, it was obvious that she wanted to know how much the water cost. The store clerk told her the price, but her little ears couldn't comprehend the words that left his mouth. She turned to me for help, but I just stared at her. I didn't know what to say because I didn't have the words. You can't suffer for a loss of words when you never had them in the first place. With a look of frustration, the cashier punched the numbers out on a calculator and showed it to her. I can only assume that her next question was, is that Syrian pound, euro, or Turkish lira? Honestly, I don't have a clue if she even knew that there was money other than the Syrian pound. In the next few seconds, my mind wandered as I watched her walk outside and tell her father the price. In slow motion, his head swayed back and forth. He spoke Arabic, but his answer was a resounding and heartbreaking no. Who was this girl? Where did she come from? What has she witnessed? How far has she traveled? Did she cross the border by car, by boat, by plane? Did her little feet walk on barren ground and over mountain passes? Where is her mother? Did she die? Based on the stories that I have heard, the way they were dressed, and the simple fact that they were freely walking in the streets, my guess is that somehow they sold all their possessions and made their way to this major city in western Turkey. It was a last act of desperation to avoid the refugee camps, being forced into sexual slavery, or being killed by ruthless murderers, and they weren't alone. Six months ago, you could have easily walked down the street, bought a sandwich, crossed the road, and then returned. But now there were thousands of Syrians lining the streets. They were sitting in front of the post office, waiting for money transfers or letters from friends and families abroad. They were trying to sell phone cards, razors, and pens. They were drinking tea and watching the news. They were sitting in the shade to avoid the hot summer sun, surrounded by backpacks filled with all their belongings and black plastic bags containing life jackets, which they had recently bought from local clothing stores that couldn't pass up the opportunity to make a quick buck. I asked myself a very simple question and wrestled with the alternatives. If you had a store and needed to pay the bills, what would you do? Would you sell life jackets to people who will use them for one night in an attempt to cross five kilometers of a GNC and illegally enter Greece? I do know one thing. If I decided to sell life jackets, they would be real ones. Believe it or not, there are shops selling fake life jackets filled with inferior foam that becomes waterlogged when wet pulling the helpless castaway to the bottom of the sea. Imagine the paradox. We wear a life jacket as a symbol of hope and safety, and yet for some, 
It is a lead weight that pulls them to a watery grave. On that same day, I stood in a dimly lit hallway and watched a man as he haggled over the price of a life jacket. He had no other options, so with forlorn hope, he opened the zipper of his hip pack and pulled out the money. I hope it's a real life jacket. I hope he has enough money left to buy food. What if he gets caught trying to cross over and gets sent back? They say it costs $1,000 per person to catch a ride on one of the fishing boats. If he spends all of his money, what will he do for food, water, and shelter? After the father said no, the nameless little girl put the bottle of water back into the refrigerator. She turned and walked away. It was hot and she was thirsty, but the answer was no. I wondered why the father said no. Maybe they needed all their money to buy life jackets. Perhaps he had calculated their total expenses, still hadn't paid the $1,000 for each family member's illegal boat ride, and knew that the 40 cents could make or break their chances. In shock, I walked out of the store, crossed the street, and started to leave. But a small, still voice said, stop. Years ago, I learned that these were the times that we needed to listen. So I paused. Instinctually, I turned around, walked back into the store, and bought two bottles of water. I walked back outside and approached the little girl. When she lifted her head and looked into my eyes, I motioned for her to take the water. For a split second, she just stood there. She may have even looked at her father for approval, and then as a smile broke out on her little face, she happily took the water. I then extended the other bottle of water to her father. He smiled, mumbled something in Arabic, and placed his hand on his heart, which means, thank you so much, but I can't accept that. I then insisted that he take it by extending the water a bit more assertively. May God be with you, he replied. The next day, the world was shocked to see the picture of a lifeless little boy washed up on the shore of a Turkish beach. It was one of those pictures that become forever seared in your memory. When I saw that picture, it made me wonder, what will happen to that little girl? Did I give her the last bottle of water that she will ever drink? Will she too be found lying face down in the sand? Will her innocent little face ever crack another smile? If so, will it be on her birthday, her graduation, or her wedding? On that day, I was so overwhelmed by the plight of thousands that I felt helpless. I felt like there was nothing that I could do. I don't own a boat. I don't have connections in the government. I don't work for the United Nations. But then God reminded me that I had 80 cents in my pocket and that two bottles of water would quench the thirst of a whole family. And that reminded me of Matthew 25, 35 through 40. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me.
Let's reach out to the poor. Let's reach out to the homeless. Let's reach out to the sick. Let's reach out to those who've had to flee their homes and be Christ's hands and be his feet. Paul Massey's second story reflects on a life that has been changed by meeting Jesus. It's titled, A New Birth. Ahmet, because you love Jesus and want to represent him in the last days, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The event that followed those words was the culmination of years and months of effort, which began way before our first Bible study. As most of you know, we've been working on our evangelistic materials for several years. Our first goal was to create a culturally contextualized chronological study series that encourages worldview shift and prepares Turkish people to see Jesus as their savior. The next goal was to develop a study series that would not only teach new Turkish believers biblical truths and prepare them for baptism, but also show them how these truths would affect their lives in a predominantly Muslim country. It was very important to us to finish these study series and use them with Turkish people to encourage real heart conversion and spiritual growth and discourage backsliding and syncretism, both of which we've seen. Right around the time that we finished the first series, a young man came to our church and said that he wanted to learn what we believe. I immediately jumped on the opportunity and began using the first series with him. Because of his ever-changing work schedule, we would meet whenever it was convenient. More than not, we met in the mornings or the afternoons. But there were a few times that we met in the evening. Day after day, month after month, we met, and our friendship grew. Do you want to go out for lunch, Paul? Ahmed asked. Sure, I replied. After eating, I went to pay the bill, and Ahmed said, No, I will pay for lunch. At first, I was shocked. It was the first time that a visitor to our church offered to do something for me instead of asking me to do something for them. But my shock quickly turned into elation, and I told my wife and all my teammates as soon as I had a chance, there's hope. I celebrated inside. One day when we finished studying, I asked Ahmed how the lessons were affecting him. I'm not afraid anymore, he said. I know that God loves me. I also have more love for people. I used to be very judgmental, but I know that's wrong. Once again, I celebrated inside. As we neared the end of the study series, I prepared to ask him to make a commitment to Jesus Christ, to repent of his sins, to surrender his life to him, and to acknowledge Jesus as his Savior. Like always, we had some small talk, prayed, and then dove into the lesson. When the last page was read, I closed the book, looked at Ahmed in the eyes, and asked, Are you ready to give your life to Jesus? Do you understand who Jesus is and what he did for you? Yes, I'm a sinner, and I know that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for my sins. He's the only way to heaven. Then let's pray. But this prayer will be a little different than previous prayers. You need to tell God that you're a sinner and that you're sorry. 
You need to ask Jesus to forgive your sins and give you a new heart. And be sure to ask for the Holy Spirit to guide you. After kneeling, Ahmet began to pray and I just listened. But inside I was celebrating and praising the Lord. I was seeing the fruits of our labor. This young man's paradigm had shifted and his worldview was changing. Every word we wrote, every page I edited over and over, and every discussion we had about each lesson was well worth it. But we still had more studies to do and I knew that I had to continue discipling him. Fortunately, we had just finished the next series of lessons. So we studied, talked, prayed, and prepared for baptism. The seasons changed, winter became spring, and it was time for us to find a site for the baptisms. We were blessed to find a beautiful secluded little beach on the Aegean that would provide calm waters and privacy, or so we thought. The baptisms were scheduled, the program was thought out, gowns were procured, and transportation arrangements were made. The day had finally come. Before stepping into the water, I gave Ahmet a chance to speak to the church. I was wanting a new way of life, he said, a new set of standards to live by. After I realized how much I loved Jesus and started applying those standards, I knew something was still missing. Today that will change. Yes, brothers, I am getting baptized and I'm so happy. We turned and walked into the sea, but when Ahmet came up from the water, I walked back to the shore with a new man. Please pray for Ahmet to become the leader that I know he can be. If you feel missions may be the plan God has for your life, look us up online at afmonline.org. That's afm online.org or call 800-937-4236 for more information. Thank you for listening to Frontier Missions Journal. God bless.